leading us in music. <clears throat> Let's take our Bibles for our time of Bible study and turn to the book of Mark. We continue to go through the last, well, it's actually been a long, which you, some of you may think a very long study, but we find ourselves engaged in the last week of Jesus' life and we find ourselves on Friday morning, very early, the betrayal, probably the most um, treacherous, most evil thing that's probably ever happened. I shouldn't say probably, it is. It certainly is the worst thing that could have ever happened on earth for sinners to betray the only sinless, righteous Son of God. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. And I would like to read, beginning at verse, let's see, where do we want to be here? Verse 43, Mark chapter 14 and verse 43. And immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given him a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, take him. And lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him, and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him, and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword, smote a servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out as against a thief, with swords and with staves, to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us pause once again for prayer prior to our study. Father God, it is again with anticipation, with thanksgiving, and wonderment to take this passage of Scripture that we've read to see the holy, righteous Son of God succumbing willingly to those that hate Him, that will ultimately spit on Him, which will beat Him, and will crucify Him. He willingly went to redeem us to save us from our sin. The world's greatest problem, sin. And you, Father, had a plan, a plan that was enacted, a plan that we saw even last week as Jesus contemplated the seriousness of it, knowing in advance how dire, how excruciating the pain would be, but not only physically, but, Father, to be separated from you for a period of time when he would be the sin bearer where you, Father, could not look on him as that one that would carry the sins of the world. Truly, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That one, Jesus. Now, we look at him again in this epitome of betrayal. And yet, Father, never were you out of control. Never were you not in charge. Father, take these words that we've read and nourish us with them go to the very depths of our being, that our souls would be recharged and energized, because we'll see you for who you are. We would ask that 
the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, and that we would be recipients of your grace from your word through the Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been a long week. Not this week that we're engaged in, but it's been a long week for Jesus. Um, I didn't ask, Laramie, do you still have that um, picture we used last, or that photo we used last week of the temple and the surrounding area of Gethsemane? I might throw that up there again. It would be helpful for us. But let's just recap very quickly. Um, it's been a week. Saturday before this, Jesus came into Bethany. He and his fellow disciples would have come from Galilee, and they were on their way, and they came to the area. Passover was a big deal. It was a really, really big deal. This was the event of events in the, in the nation of Israel. They came to Jerusalem, and that Passover would have been that event that would have signified 1,500 years earlier of God saving those Israelites as they were trapped, if you will, in the land of Egypt. They were slaves. They had no rights. In fact, they were their children, even the boy children, the, the sons of them were to be killed at birth. Now we know that, I don't want to get too far down that, but there were some very, shall we say, God-fearing Hebrew women that did not allow that to happen in its fullest extent. And there was one that was saved from that. His name was Moses. He was the one literally 40 years later. I'm sorry, it was later than that, wasn't it? Moses was a little bit like Peter. He would get ahead of himself. He got ahead of God, and he was going to do it his way. Have you guys ever done? No, you wouldn't have done that either. <laughs> We're all laughing because it's part of who we are, isn't it? Self just rises up and wants to do stuff. <laughs> going to take charge. Where's God? Well, we'll just take off and do that. And you'll find the scriptures full of those instances of where self got a ran ahead of God. And Moses, 40 years of age, killed an Egyptian that was fighting with a Hebrew. Another 40 years, he had to go follow Shepherd sheep. I'm saying, no, that's, that's a penalty. That's penalty phase, right? 40, 40 years. He was in the penalty box. Go on the backside of a desert and go herd some sheep around so you can get used to leading my people because they're just like sheep, right? That's who we are. We're kind of sheepish, aren't we? And he did. He came back at 80 years, and he was so humble. He was so meek then. He was totally the opposite of what he'd been growing up in Pharaoh's household. You know, you can't imagine what that would have been like to have been, quote, a son in Pharaoh's house. I mean, everything was yours. It was all about you. And yet, he really did follow his Hebrew roots, but it was on his time frame. Eighty or Forty years later, at 80 years of age, he came to lead his people out, God's people out of, of the land of Egypt. The tenth plague was the, the death of the firstborn. That was the one that literally got the attention of the Pharaoh, because his own firstborn son was dead. Uh, God provided something, just as he's always provided. In Genesis chapter 3, we know in verse 16, after Adam and Eve had sinned, at that point God promised that there would be a redeemer. There would one come from the line of the woman that literally would stomp on the head of the serpent, that death would no longer rule and reign as Satan's weapon of number one choice. And that was Jesus Christ. But before that, there was even a picture of that, the Passover. There would be a lamb, a blemished, an unblemished lamb. Uh, we don't have our little date up there, but on Monday of Passion Week, I'm skipping way forward now, Monday of Passion Week was the day that Jesus Christ entered into the city of Jerusalem. Th hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people were there. 
and they would have put their garments down. They would have said, Hosanna to the king of the highest. And if you would have studied the Passover and the selection of the lamb that would have been utilized on that day of Passover, where the lamb was slaughtered and that blood would be putting on the doorpost out in front of your house, that angel of death would pass over that place because of the blood of the lamb. That's what was so significant when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, when he saw Jesus Christ, before he'd even baptized him, he said, from a distance, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Anyone that would have been familiar with the scriptures in the Old Testament would have said, That is amazing, the statement that's just been declared. And then to hear God after his baptism, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Oh, my goodness, right? That's who we're talking about. And literally, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that Jesus Christ is our Passover. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ as Savior, He is your Passover. He is the reason that no longer does death frighten or scare you. It certainly doesn't have to, I'll say that, because you are His in Christ. All of that is coming together. That took a long time to just kind of, I said I was going to be brief. <laughs> you know me, what? So here we are, but we're gathered in this event 1,500 years earlier when that took place as the Egyptians. Finally, the hold was broken. The Israelites left. And here we are, Jesus, the Passover lamb, that would have been the fulfillment of that happening so long ago, is about to offer himself up. And I said that properly. He offered himself up. Tuesday, after being crowned king, he goes in and he cleans the temple. Not the Romans, the temple. He starts where it needs to be started, and that's at the religious centers. The places that no longer were a house of God's prayer. Or a house of God's prayer. Did I say that the right way? Well, anyway, you know what I meant. And on Tuesday, he clears the place out. And if you do the math, which I'm kind of that math guy, right? I want to know. If you do it, the area that would have been encompassed in the whole temple was about 35 acres. Whoa, right? That's a job. But then on Wednesday, he returned, and that was probably the highest day in hundreds of years where Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one, the one that had come to be the Savior of the land, the entire world ultimately, but for the land of the Jews, which have rejected him, he is speaking from the Bible in the temple. It was a high point, not only in the week, but for the entire time frame of these people that are finding themselves living there. And it was a long day. And then the, the credit to Jesus, I, I tell you, the part that's just overwhelming to me still, we talked about it last week. I'm not quite there, but because uh, we're still on Wednesday. So let's keep talking about Wednesday. But Wednesday night, they're leaving the temple. They go out through the, it actually, boy, it looks so different, doesn't it? So let me see if I can orient myself. It's a little stretched, isn't it? And what did I do? Oh, yeah, Paul hides this over here for me so I don't lose it. Good for him. He knows me. Uh, here we have, let's see, what we were talking about Wednesday night. I've got to go. I've got it. I've got to figure it out. There we go. There we go. Uh, here we find the, the temple area, if you will. Jesus had cleaned that out. He had been busy on Wednesday teaching there. That evening, he would have exited. I don't know if he went out the Golden Gate. I don't know which gate he went out, but ultimately would have went up the Mount of Olives on his way to Bethany, which was two, hour, two, two hours, two, two miles away. And that's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That was kind of their home, if you will. But there's something that's also, we mentioned it maybe last week, but if you notice the Garden of Gethsemane was a place that was frequented by the disciples and Jesus regularly because Judas knew where that place was at because they were there often. 
So think about it. What are the chances of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus having a house big enough to accommodate 12 disciples and Jesus? That's a big joint, right? So it's a fairly likely opportunity that they probably would have spent their evenings, their nights, in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was the place where they hung out. That was a private garden, no doubt, that had been offered from that person to Jesus and his disciples. This was a place they frequented. And what a quiet place. What a great place to be. But on that Wednesday night, it doesn't say they're even in Gethsemane, but they were on the side of the Mount Olives, and he was sitting there teaching his disciples late into the evening after he spent an entire day teaching in the temple. How exhausted he must have been, Jesus. And that's where we have literally the Olivet Discourse, which you go to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. It was right there on the sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives, which is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Where does the second coming of Jesus Christ actually take place? He hits the earth on the Mount of Olives. The place he was teaching was the place, and it's over 2,000 years ago, and it's at least another seven years because it would be at the end of the tribulation. That's where Jesus will land us on the very place that we have the scriptures unfold for us what will happen. Oh, my goodness. Now, the disciples were on a much shorter course thing, much like us. We see our lives, and we see it in 70, 80, 90 years, and we see so many things that need to happen for us. So it's just, that's, that's our f- time frame. Those disciples thought Jesus' kingdom was coming like that. Poof! Is it now? Well, it's 2,000 years later, and it's still not here. The tribulation hasn't even happened. But Wednesday night would have ended with that, I mean, amazing time. time. Thursday, they would have opened up, and it's a little bit quiet in the morning. So we say nothing spoken of it. Where Jesus was at, we don't know, but he sent his two disciples, two of them, and he told them to go. Oh, he didn't tell them where to go. Did you notice that? That was pretty cool. He says, you know, just go to the 600th Avenue of 6th Street, and then on House 6017, that's where we're going to have our little Passover. We're going to have ours. No, he didn't do that. In fact, he said, here's what I want you two guys to do. And who was that? Peter and John. He knew he could trust those two guys, right? <laughs> anyway, they go, and he says, this is what you look for. You look for a man carrying a jug of water or a pitcher of water. I'm like, this is Jerusalem, not Bethany. This is how many guys would be carrying water on this day? None, because men don't carry the water. They have the women do that. See, now the men do the coffee. Hebrews. The women do. That was bad, wasn't it? That was so bad. But it sounded so good right now. See, the women carry the water and the guy makes the coffee, right? So, Hebrews. That would be a different book, wouldn't it? Yeah. At any rate, let's keep moving right along. And uh, so, sure enough, they see this man carrying this pitcher of water. And he had told them, follow him to the house where he goes. Go into the house, and here's this owner of the house, apparently. And you just ask, where is the master to have his Passover meal? And they showed them. That's where I want you to go. That's where I want you to go. I want you to go there and prepare it. And again, why the secrecy? I've read over that passage I don't know how many times. What does it matter? Well, we know from the previous couple of weeks before that, we talked about how Judas Iscariot, the one that we're going to find today, literally betrayed Jesus how he became disillusioned. He'd finally had enough. He saw that this Jesus is not going to be my man. He's not going to be the guy that I'm going to get the goods from. He's not the one that I can serve in the cabinet of a great kingdom, and literally I can become rich. Now, he was the treasurer, and he was taking all the goods that he could get. But on that one night, Saturday, the night, the week before, they were again gathered at Simon the leper's house, which no doubt Jesus cured him of leprosy. And during that time, Mary, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, she came with an alabaster of spikenard. I mean, ladies, I don't know what you spend for your perfume, but you did not spend this much. This is one 
bottle. Now, it's fairly large. I, we don't know how big. You don't know, it didn't give us ounces, but it told us that it took one year's wages for that bottle of spikenard. Now, I would think it would take just a little bit to do. But Mary having, now again, I, more significance here than we can even give you. But she would have anointed her dead brother's body a few weeks before, Lazarus, after he died, before Jesus got there. This is the one that ran, oh, if Jesus, if he would have been here before he died, he would have not died. Again, how bad a moment would have that been for you to have been there and watched your brother die? And he says, oh, it'll be for the glory of God. And you know what happened. That He spoke, Lazarus, come forth. And here's this one that had been dead for four days, not four minutes, not four hours, but four days, walked out, and he said, loose him and let him go. She would have anointed that brother's body. And she knows, because Jesus has said numerous times to those close to him, I will be betrayed, I will be crucified, I will be buried, and I will rise again. She is literally, before he dies, anointing his body. What an act of love. It was amazing, particularly if you understand all the things that took place in the previous two weeks. And she literally breaks the neck off the bottle and pours all of it. I can't imagine. I'm, a lot of perfume gives me a headache. That would have been overwhelming in that house on that day. Now, the guy that raised the biggest stink, and there was a pun intended, was Judas Iscariot. He's livid. He's mad. He's furious. He says, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. No, what we could have done was sold it, put it in the bag. Judas steals it. That's what we could have done. From that moment, it actually says, he went to figure out how he could betray Jesus. That was a parenthesis, if you will, within the week, showing us how we got to that level that Judas now, and guess what? On Wednesday night, I'm serious, on Thursday night when they would gather quietly in that upper room, <coughs> Judas would have been marking that as an opportunity to sell his Savior out. Excuse me, the Savior out. It wasn't his Savior to sell the Savior out. But what if Jesus would have given him the street address? Guess who would have been waiting? Exactly. And Jesus had a whole lot more stuff that needed to be get done. If you go to your Bibles, and I've had you read this a couple of different times, your homework continues, because it's just as relevant today. If you take John chapters 13 through 17, particularly 13 through 16, that passage in the Scripture was put together on that evening, on Thursday night, after they had partaken in the Last Supper. Those, those moments... I'm in a grandiose encouragement was right there that his, the Savior gave to his disciples, not the 12, the 11. And then, you know, Judas showed up. And he said, Jesus, one of you is going to betray me. And they were so taken back. Is it I? I mean, they, they, didn't, they didn't distrust anyone there, which gives me, if, if you ever met a hypocrite, you've never met one like Judas. That dude's good. He, he fooled everyone except Jesus. Now, how would that be if you knew? What happens when you know a hypocrite? Go ahead. You guys aren't even smiling loud enough yet. Because one thing, you, you have a distrust for them, don't you? you there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, the hands are up kind of a deal. You, don't, you know what I mean? Right? Isn't that exactly right? There's a wall that goes up. If you know one is a hypocrite, what did Jesus do? On that night, Thursday night, he placed him in his right hand to be in a place of honor. 
the one that he knew would betray him, giving him one last chance, if you will, to see the light. And I'm going to say, if you've walked with Jesus for three years, 24-7, seven days a week, and you haven't gotten it, you're not going to get it. That is truly the most wasteful life ever lived on this earth. I would have loved to have walked with Jesus, not even for three years, for just a week. Just, just right? You all, you're shaking your heads. What would that have been like? Now, it's interesting. He doesn't stick out. We'll find it in our text today. Uh, Judas was very careful to say, no, we want to make sure we get the right man. Here's my sign. I'm going to walk up to this one, and I'm going to basically affectionately hug and kiss him. That was a, that was a very, what should we say, um, um, an oriental style of doing it. In fact, you could even go to, I don't know if I'm going to get this right, like 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 9, it talks about there was a king, Amasa, that was actually, that was stabbed to death from someone that would have reached up to show affection. Now, that was another sense of betrayal. But this was very common. But he said, he's probably going to try to get away, and which tells me he doesn't know Jesus very well, does he? He doesn't know him at all. In fact, the moment when Satan entered into Judas and he left, Jesus and the other 11 disciples are in Gethsemane, and Jesus is pouring his heart out before God if he could really go forward with this. That's where the battle was, was right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is right off to the right-hand side of our picture up there. That was the heated, most heated, difficult conflict Jesus ever had on this earth because he knew what the crucifixion would be. He knew what the severance, if you will, of, of him and God for at least those three hours where God could not even look on him. They'd never been separated before. Ah, and yet... That compassion that came through even in his agony, three different occasions, he's deep into the Garden of Gethsemane, and on three different times he comes back to see how the disciples are doing. Are they praying? Are they preparing themselves? Are they getting ready? <gasps> Guys, you're sleeping again, right? You need, to, you need to pray. You need to be prepared. Guard against temptation. Goes back in. Three different times he comes back. The agony, when Judas would have approached Jesus with this kiss of betrayal, he would have seen a bloodied Jesus. That condition that literally the capillaries that would burst and break next to the sweat glands, he would have looked like he was bloodied. That's stress beyond belief. It's an extremely rare condition, but it is, in fact, a condition. That's who Jesus looked like that night. Calm, collected in every way, God. And Judas comes to betray that one. But my point is this. It wasn't like Jesus had a halo, right? Just go for the one that's got the halo. <laughs> have you seen some of those, those little, um, like, Christmas is coming kind of a thing, and you have this little baby in this manger, and some of them have a picture of a halo over that child? No, it's not there. He looks like any other baby. He looked like any other man. And Judas has to point him out. That's amazing to me, that that, that man could be that treacherous. He's in charge. And we're about midnight, maybe after. We're Friday morning. It's not three because Peter hasn't had the chance to deny Jesus three times. Remember that? Remember that? Early in the evening, Jesus said, you know, you guys are all going to run away. You're all going to flee. And then Peter, of course, not me. I'm here for you, buddy. I will take it to the end. I'm going to die with you if I have to. And about three hours later, er, er, and he says, uh-oh, I denied him three times, right? Too confident, 
too over the top, too unprepared. Sounds like sometimes in our own lives, right? I'm not pointing fingers. I'm right back at myself. Right back at myself. And you know how Jesus said to be prepared? It's the same way Jesus prepared. What did he do? He spent time in prayer. He prayed and he prayed. And most, the most difficult days ahead, the earlier he went out to pray or the later he prayed. That's a great word for us of encouragement. If you need, you've got something big in your life, even if you don't, in fact, don't even look at it that way. The disciples are almost complacent, aren't they? Everything's going our way. We're okay. Jesus is here. If he, we have him, it's okay. Now, they were bothered, no doubt. In fact, it says they slept for sorrow. It was in the scripture. I don't remember where it was in one of the gospels. They literally fell asleep for sorrow because it didn't make a lot of sense to them. What is this? And Jesus, could you have done it any worse? Could he have like, made these guys any matter? You don't, you don't make the religious people mad. You get along with them. You're kind of like, we're okay. We're all in the community together. We can work through. No, Jesus just took them head on. Why? Because they were separating the people from God. Jesus left nothing, nothing out. He went right for it. So here we are, early Friday morning. Now, Judas had had a lot of work. He'd done a lot of work. And while Jesus was teaching and preaching, to his, I should say teaching, to his disciples, all of that passage of John, chapter 13 through 16, that, those words are written down in, God, in the Gospel of John for us because of the night that he spent with his disciples. Judas was doing something else on the other hand. He says, after he had dipped his bread, Jesus said, it is, it, you are the man. Do what you do quickly. And at that moment, he left. What would he do? Now, it said also, interesting part, is that Satan entered him. That's scary. And it says, and it was dark. You better believe it was dark. Well, what would he do? This is the night. This is the time to get Jesus. Because now Jesus knows who I am. Not that Jesus didn't ever know who he was. Judas knows, Jesus knows. That's the first time he's knowing that because he's played the part well. If you've maybe watched a, a read a book or watched a film or something where you'll see someone that infiltrates a crime, uh, way, uh, crime ring or something, you know, and it, the, the time it takes to infiltrate and to become part of those that you're trusted. See, Judas has done this for three years. He's smooth. And then when he knows that Jesus knows, ooh, I better get this figured out really quick. So where do you think he went first? He would have probably went ahead and got to the chief priests. Guys, this is the night, because I know where they're going to be, because they go every night. They go to Gethsemane. They're going to be at, the, at that mount. They're going to be on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, because that's where they hang out. I know where they're going. I know. Okay, this is good. Now, why would the chief priests be okay with this? Because it's not out in public. What does that say right there? Jesus, we'll, we'll talk about this later when Jesus actually confronted them with that. Well, let's talk about it now. I said I was going to do it later. Let's talk about it now. So why did you guys come in the middle of the night? Where were you at earlier in the week when I was teaching in the temple? In the daylight hours. I was right there. Why didn't you take me there? Because he was not guilty. There was no crime. There was nothing of which he was guilty of. Nothing. So they had to do it in an hour, in an hour literally, where they could do it under the veil of darkness. They came with masks, too. Did you see this? Judas, oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So he went to the chief priest, and they are saying, well, now what? Tonight? You know where he's at? Of course I do. I'm here, and I broke cover. He knows it's me now. We've got to do this right now. Okay. Well, so what we could we do? Who would they have in their power? 
the chief priests. They would have the temple police, if you will. Now, if you know, the temple police had failed before. In fact, let's go to John chapter 7. Let's watch this. This must have been very disheartening. However, we know that Jesus' time was not yet. John chapter 7. Let's go there for a moment. John 7. John chapter 7. Oh, let's see. Now, the interesting, I want to read verse 30. It's just kind of taking a context. This is much earlier in his ministry, but John chapter 7, it says, verse 30. Then they sought, they being the religious leaders, to take him, but no man laid hands on him. Why? Because his hour was not yet come. God was in charge. Now, go to, uh, let's see. Where did it show? Oh, I'm not going to see it. It'll, it'll be okay, though. But anyway, they, the, the religious leaders sent the cops, the temple police, if you will. And let's look here. Verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Now, they had been sent out to get Jesus. And they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, Boy, never a man has spoke like this man. <laughs> In other words, they listened to what Jesus had to say, and they said, He's amazing. I heard him teach, and it was like he just sucked me in. I... And they said, Oh, my goodness. You losers were deceived as well. So they can't just send them with guys alone, right? You can send them with somebody. So what would be the best thing we could do? What would be the best thing we could do? We, we'll take those guys with because now you notice there's two types of weapons that were noticed. There was swords and staves, or the other would be like a billy club, like a club. And that's what the temple police, they didn't have anything, a knife or certainly one had a gun, right? You see, there's something about intent that is far beyond uh, and this is a little bit aside, but right now, if you notice our country right now, the worst thing in the world, there was, a, there was a, unfortunately, a killing that happened last night with a gun. Now, if you've been keeping track, in Idaho, it happened, what, a week ago or something? That was not a gun, but it was a knife. Have you not heard anyone, we should ban knives? Hasn't happened, has it? A hammer? Anything, right? Only a gun. The intent is the same. It's a sin heart problem, just as it was then. has nothing to do with the method. When are we going to get that through our minds? Well, we won't as long as we continue to not follow God. Here we have people that are trying to take Jesus' life, and the police, the temple police, if you will, they're the ones with the clubs. But there would have been something else, much more that they would have wanted to do, because you couldn't take Jesus' life if you were a Jew. That was someone else's property or priority, and that would have been what? the Romans. The Romans. So how do you get the Romans involved? Well, they'd watch Jesus actually on Monday, right? Because they're there. It's the Passover. In fact, Pilate's in town. We know he is because he was the one who oversaw the trials, which would be coming next week and the week after in our study. Uh, he knew very well what had taken place. Hundreds of thousands of people would have been thronging around. But you know what the difference was? It was their own little religious thing. I mean, whatever. He's cleaning up the temple. Let him go, right? Romans, you could have as many gods as you wanted. Just don't mess with the Caesar. That's all. He's number one. What did they do? No doubt Pilate would have been summoned. And probably Judas Iscariot would have to be that one, right? He's the inner circle. He's the one who could say, you won't believe what they're talking about. This Jesus, he's planning a takeover. That's what Judas wanted. Insurrection. <laughs> insurrection. That's the word they used, in fact. In fact, go to Mark chapter 15, verse 7. There was an insurrectionist that they had already gathered up. See, I'm going past John. That won't work. Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, 7. Mark 15. And I know I'm jumping in. 
But there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And guess who Jesus took place of? The crowd that had crowned him on Monday, on Friday says, crucify him, crucify. And you know, at this point now, just a minute. Now, Pilate, and he's not any guiltless. Oh, no, no. He had the power to stop all of this. He really did. But Pilate, he's, what's wrong with these people? He hasn't done anything wrong. And he's questioning Jesus, and Jesus, of course, doesn't answer him. This time has come. It's time to be the sin bearer. But he says, well, how about Barabbas? Who do you want me to give you then? And they said, Barabbas. He would have never seen that coming. Just like, remember Satan entering into Judas? Now, you see, how many times have you read that, and you said that Judas, that Satan entered into Judas to have Jesus killed? That is not the case. That is not the case. And you have to step back to see what else was happened where Satan was reprimanded in the source of somebody else. And this is review, but it's okay. If you remember the three trials, I'm sorry, the three tests, the three temptations that Jesus had out in the wilderness, the last one was that literally Satan said, he said, I'll give you all of this kingdom. Just fall down and worship. You don't have to die. You just, you just worship me and it's all yours. And then the one that really spells, really spells it out for me is in Matthew chapter 16. Here's Peter that had answered correctly. He, Jesus had asked, who do, who do people say that I am? This is well along. We're at the end now. This is the end walk for Jesus. Who do people say that I am? And there was different answers. And then he says, who do you say that I am? I've been with you for three years. Who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up. That's weird, right, that he speaks up. But he's right. He was spot on this time. And he says, thou art the Christ the son of the living God. Perfect answer. Nailed it. It was perfect. And then within matters of moments after that, Jesus is sharing again with the disciples that he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified, buried, and rise again. And Peter rebukes him. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you to rebuke God. Oh, have you ever not followed God sometime? And just said, not, not right now. It's the same, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? We're just like Peter, except he was right in Jesus' face. He said, oh, that can't ever be. That's wrong. That's not the way it works. This is the time of the kingdom. Knock it off, Jesus. What are you talking about? And what did Jesus reply? Get behind me, Satan. Satan did not want Jesus Christ on that cross for any reason, because he read the Old Testament better than we know how to read it. He knew that that was the meaning of all of those psalms and those Isaiah, portions in Isaiah, that the Messiah would come and would have to die for the sins of the people. Satan didn't want him on the cross. No way. He'd offered it without a death, and then he wanted, even in, think of that, Peter was literally being, what's the right word? Deluded to try to refute what Jesus had just said. And Jesus called it right out. So what happened when Jesus, I'm sorry, when Judas was, Filled with Satan. Why did they have, why did they come after dark? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because remember, to anyone in the town of Jerusalem right now, yes, but we're here for your Passover. But what happened on Monday? We have just crowned a new king, and his name is Jesus. Now, if you're a religious leader of pre you can go to actually are you still in Mark? Turn to Mark chapter 14. I want you to see, again, reviewing the fact that 
God is in control. Even when his enemies don't see this as the time. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover and on unleavened bread, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him, Jesus, by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. They said, we can't do it now. There's too many people watching. There's, there's too much. I'm telling you, where Jesus goes, people just throng. We can't do this now. We've got to get him, but not now. So if Satan enters Judas on Thursday night, he is certainly going to try to rise up a riot from the people so that Jesus is not crucified. Or the other part of it is, he works so many facets. If you look in your own life, the areas that you're tempted more easily... It's amazing how adept Satan is. He sells you a bill of goods and you just say, why did I not see that coming? Because we're not prepared. How do you get prepared? By prayer. <laughs> Watch and pray. That's exactly right. Okay. So the other part of this is, now he didn't, Satan, when he was busy with, see, that's the really cool thing about Satan. There's not very many cool things about him, but he is not omnipresent. If he's entered into Peter, guess where he can't be? anywhere else. As Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his 11 disciples, Satan was not there. Now, I'm not saying there couldn't have been demonic uh, uh, influence, but at the same time, Satan himself was not there because he was busy with, Pi with um, Judas, thank you, not Pilate, <laughs> trying to create a diversion, creating some type of a situation so that literally there would be a riot of these hundreds of thousands of people that would thwart off Jesus being killed this is the time. This is the week not to have it happen. Again, did you notice Satan in all of his power, God has him right in the palm of his hand. There was nothing Satan could do that could thwart God's plan. But what would be the other thing how God's plan could be thwarted? That's really what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the task was too much, too overbearing, too over the top for Christ who knew no sin to be our sin bearer. And now at the hands of these, this group of men that would have come, the pain and the agony of what Jesus suffered prior to the crucifixion, I believe, and I'm not trying to get in Satan's mind. The only thing I know about being in Satan's mind, you don't want to be there. It's just lies and deceit and murder and every possible way of destruction of anything that God loves and has died for. That's what Satan works on. But I'm wondering if he would have done the very same thing. Remember what he did with Job? He says, let me, have a, let me have a play at Job. God, you've made his life so amazingly easy. He has a multitude of children. He has a multitude of livestock. He's got great farms. He's got everything. And it's because you gave it to him. That's why he worships you. Just let me have him. Let me take his stuff. He'll curse you. God said, go ahead. Now, to Job, that didn't feel like a good thing. Oh, by the way, Job wasn't told about that. Little meeting. You see, there might be some things happening in your life that literally, for the later on, in fact, I can't tell you how many times in those moments that I've felt down and alone and just distressed. Where do I go? There's a lot of places, but I go to Job because God was right there with him. He was right there with him. Satan couldn't have possibly known what he tried to do to take away the salvation of one man. He's literally encouraged the rest of God's people through the years. See, that's what he can't get. And he tried it, I think, with Jesus as well. If I can make it so unbearable 
the pain so unbearably, I can't take it, I'm done with these people. And again, imagine missing holiness and sinners. The wrong people were arrested that night. Jesus, the holy righteous one, was arrested, and the sinners arrested him. That's not right, is it? Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, which our land is living under right now. Woe unto them that say evil is good and good is evil. That's where we live in this world today, right? There's no justice anymore. Our justice department is a joke. Why? Because we're not following God. But God is no less in control. He used all of those things to literally accomplish the thing that had to happen, and that was Jesus Christ becoming the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Satan and all of his devices tried every possible way to keep Jesus off the cross. And then he tried to keep him in the ground. Oh, couldn't be done. Couldn't be done. And you think this is Thanksgiving season? I am so thankful that my Jesus did what he needed to do. Because I know if I would have been in that position, I'd have sold those sinful losers out. You can have them. <laughs> that's, that, that's up to you. You guys lost it. You're done. We'll start over. In fact, that conversation could have been had. Father, Father, let's just start over. Let's just let these guys go. Let's start over. Right? He could have said that. But no, it was written in the book. It was written in the Bible. It was written as a true statement that this is the way he will save his people through Jesus Christ. My goodness. So how many showed up to get Jesus? It was a bunch. It was a bunch. In fact, the word that's used is a cohort or a group of Roman soldiers. It was about one-tenth of a legion. How many of you know what a legion of Roman soldiers is? Very good. I was going to say, well, let's, let's just share that. 6,000 would be a legion, and this was about 600. And the word that's used here would have described a tenth of a legion, which is about 600 Roman soldiers. They would have been gathered because of, we talked about it kind of sort of quickly, but an insurrection. They'd already just put one down. Barabbas was in jail. He was in jail right now for insurrection. Now, that will get the Romans' attention. All Pilate, I'm sorry, all that Judas had to say to Pilate was, I've got a potential insurrectionist. His name is Jesus. I've been a disciple for three years. I haven't filtrated that thing. He is coming. Why did he do that? He just sold his mother out for 30 pieces of silver. He was a, that truly, my friends, is the love of money personified to a level I can't even describe for you. You would take the Savior of the world and sell him for the price of a slave of 30 pieces of silver. And he didn't take any of that with him either, did he? In fact, he threw it into the temple, and he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. We could find that. I don't know if we'll get there today or not, but in Matthew chapter 27. And they said, what is that to us? And he went and hung, hung himself. That was his end. But did you see what the love of money did to that man? It does the same thing to people today. You show me someone, the billionaires particularly. I could name them, but it's pointless. Money does something at a high level. Just John D. Rockefeller to me is the clear, and he's dead. He's not enjoying or taking anything with him either. I don't know where his condition was with the Lord. If it didn't get made right at the end, he's in the same place as Judas Iscariot is for the love of money. They asked John D. Rockefeller. He was well into his 80s. The man couldn't have spent what he had. He was a billionaire when a billion was a billion. It's not like today, right? It takes a trillion to be a billion now. And they said, how much money is enough, John? You know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. That is greed personified. That is on the max of controlling the level. That's why Paul said in Timothy, the love of money is the root 
of all evil. Judas Iscariot fell prey to the love of money. But as he sold this, insurrectionist, now we've got Roman soldiers, got about 600 of those. We would have the temple police, those are the guys with clubs. The Romans would have the swords. They're, they're going, and they got torches, they got lanterns. They, can you imagine this entourage traveling? And they would have went, oh, this is cool. Let's see, where did I lose my, I lost my, here it is. So if you look, I got to look myself. See this Antonia fortress right here? That's where Pilate hung out. Okay, so no doubt those soldiers would have been commissioned from there, would have went out whichever gate was the easiest, and they would have went, boop, right there. They're there in a matter of, sec of minutes. Just boom, they're there. Jesus knew they were coming. In fact, after the third time, he said, oh, guys, you're sleeping again. Well, let's get up. Behold, here they come. And you could see this. Can you imagine this coming up the Mount, up the, up the Mount of Olives? All of these lanterns and lights. And, oh, my goodness. I think there was probably approaching 1,000 people. There's 1,000 people. Now, remember that last guy that we read in our passage? There's this one guy. He's wrapped in a linen sheet, probably had his undergarments on. He wasn't naked naked. He would have his, his undergarments on. But he would have just grabbed the sheet because he saw his commotion. You know, a 1,000 people in the middle of the night gathered up, going through town, going somewhere. I'm going to see what they're doing, right? Now, some have said it's John Mark. I have no idea. It's not even important. The point of the matter was, literally, he gets there, jumping ahead a little bit of the story. As all of the disciples forsake him, He's the one that wouldn't have fit the Romans, the temple cops, or any of the leader, all the rest of the, of, the temp, of the religious leaders. He stood out for obvious reasons, right? And say, he's with them too. And they grab him, and he's off like a shot, and they have the linen, and he's gone with his undergarments running somewhere, right? Now, it doesn't even matter. This is, I think this is what's important. We've tried to make identity who this is. The only place that it's mentioned is in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. So some have said, this is John Mark. This is that young man that probably his mother is where the house was where they had the power. I don't know any of that. We really don't know any. But the point of the matter is, there was not one person left with Jesus Christ. He was alone with this thousand men that has no reason to arrest him. Everybody's left. They've all left. Think of that crowd, thousand. And am I stretching it? I don't think so. There's a lot of people who want Jesus dead. And the other thing is, Satan, Satan is inside of Pilate. He'll bring his game like you've never seen. You talk about sell goods. You talk about absent from truth. He sold more lies that night to all of the people that wanted to believe lies. See, that's why people hate God today, because they want to. You talk to an evolutionist about creation versus evolution. It's not about facts, people. There's nothing to do with it. You can't tell me. You, you, you just study. Just, just look. Look up. Look around. Evolution's a joke. It's a lie. It's a fraud. I'm sorry. I, no, I'm not sorry because it's true. <laughs> right? But why do they want to believe it? Because they want to believe it. Because if there's a creator, that means they're responsible to the person that made them. That's what it's about. Just like this night, they wanted to believe the lies about Jesus because they wanted to end his life. I hated that man. I hated everything he did. And these are the people that are religious leaders. It's no different today. It's all about power. It's all about money. And the further up you go, the less likely they are to have a relationship with God. Isn't that sad? It's the same world. It's the same world. 
I love this. <laughs> here comes, here comes Mr. Judas, right? Okay, guys, listen, listen, come on. We're going to go up the hill. We're going to go up the mountain. We're going to go there. I know where he's at. I know exactly where he's at. You have to watch me. And my sign is the guy that I embrace, the guy that I kiss, that guy you grab. <laughs> like he's going to go somewhere, right? So he actually does. He embraces him. And it's like, let's go to John chapter 18. I want you to see this. Because you, you all know the passage we haven't talked about as you're turning there. Remember the one thing we read today that we haven't talked about? Who's the guy that chopped off the ear? Where's he? How did he get so fired up? Well, let's find that out. Let's go, to John, let's go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. John 18, and we'll just, I think we'll start in about verse 1. Yeah, here we go. This will give us some other details that we didn't know. John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden, into which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. See it? For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. This was a meeting place. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek you? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Did you notice what wasn't in there? Messiah, Christ, anointed, all of the things that he really was. Uh, we want that Jesus guy from Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Now that is amazing what that statement is. I am. That's literally the word. I am. That's like claiming you're God. I am who I am. That's how Jehovah was describing himself. And it, watch, let's read it. I don't even have to tell you. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Now wait a minute. Literally, he says, I am. And they like hit the deck. A thousand people just on their backs on the ground because of two words that Jesus Christ said. And you don't think he's in charge? Right about then is when Peter flies into action. Because <laughs> they get back up and he says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And again. Now, at this point, Peter drives in. In fact, the question, they ask, ask a question. Shall we fight the disciples? I'm thinking, if Jesus just with two words just laid them on their back, I'm going to just hang around and wait for Jesus right now. That's going to be the smart thing. But here's Peter. He's, got his sword, he's ready to whack away, right? He's a fisherman turned swordsman. He shouldn't have had a sword. That's all I got to tell you. Because he missed so badly, cut the guy's ear off. If you think he was aiming for an ear, I've got another word for you. He missed big time. Now, what if Jesus hadn't even healed the ear? We would have had four crosses, wouldn't have we? Because they'd have nailed that guy, right? If he'd have whacked off Malchus's head, ooh, right? Got another cross going on. But where did Peter get his, where did he get this burst of energy? Now, I, I don't miss this. Don't miss this for a moment now. Do the math. Even if I'm wrong, it's okay. There's a bunch of people, right? And I'm going to go ahead with 1,000. I'm just going to put that. Because there's 600 Romans alone. And it looks better on a board. If I have 1,000 anyway, it's easier to look at. Versus, whoops, did that wrong. Versus, how many? One. Virtually one, wasn't there? But even if you count the disciples. Okay, this is, this is a tricky question. Remember the guy that's in his linen sheet? Remember the guy in the linen sheet? Ah, right? He wasn't necessarily four. Because he. Were following along to see the, you know, we don't know. The same way. We don't know. 
just spoken word. See, I was, you, you countered with a trick with a trick. Good job. I don't know. But we do know of what we know is there's 13, at least perception. Now, how, how sword-wielding would you be if you're part of the 13? <laughs> well, I think I'll just wait it out. I think I'll see how this goes. I think I'm going to, Jesus, why don't you get back to me? Just, I'm going to hide over here for a moment. There's another trio, right? So you have to give, you sort of have to give Peter credit. But the thing I want you to see is until those guys heard Jesus say, I am, and they hit the dirt, a thousand of them, that's when his courage so called. And he'd seen Jesus before. This wasn't the first time he'd been with him. He watched him calm the winds. He watched a crazy maniac demon-possessed man that Jesus said, come out of that man, and he became normal. He watched him say to Lazarus, come forth. These disciples had seen him do stuff that they'd never, ever believed could be done. This is just something that Jesus does. But here's, here's Peter with his sword. What's he going to do with that thing, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 stop. That's a timeout. Don't do that, right? In fact, again, protecting his disciples. I don't know if it's in this passage. See if you can find it. Um, yeah, here it is. It's right here. Let's keep going. Verse 7, you're still in John chapter 18. Then ask ye again, whom seek you? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, you seek me. Let these go their way. That was like cue for exit stage left, disciples. Leave now. This is your time. Because it's just like it says in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. That's a stated statement. That's a fact. That's a foretold conclusion of prophecy that will be fulfilled right now that when we smite the shepherd, the sheep are scattered. Even the guy in the linen sheet. And maybe there were others that followed along. It just slunk off into the darkness. Because we know now, it is literally, it's, you, you've, you spoke so well. It's one. In fact, it's the world against Jesus. It's against Jesus. Think of that crowd. They're a crowd just like our crowds. How many crimes have been committed? Zero. Absolutely nothing had been done. It's unjust. This mob is an unjust mob. There's no reason to be there. It's also a mindless mob. I, I, you think of the riots back in, I don't know, any riot, anywhere, actually, in 2020, 2021, you know, the, the BLM and all of those people that are just out there just mindlessly just destroying stuff or whatever. It's amazing to me there wasn't very many people that were making decisions. There was just a few, just a few. And the rest of them just follow it. Yeah, that looks like a great idea. Let's go burn that place down. Let's destroy that car. Let's go, right? They're not even thinking. That's the mindlessness of a crowd riot. That's what's wrong with following the crowd. Most of the time, they don't even know why they're there. You take, let's just take John Q. Roman soldier number 481. If you were going to ask him, why are you here? Uh, Pilate told me to come. That's the right. That's his answer, isn't it? Is it to, we've got to get that Jesus, that Jesus guy that's trying to be an insurrectionist against the government of Rome. That guy we've got to get because he's a filthy, murdering, lying, cheat thief. No, none of that. The Romans don't care. In fact, as they crucified him, you would have asked the team that were crucifixionists. I think that's a word. Why are you here? That's what we do. 
But do you know what? At the end of that, after, at, at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that guy that's hardened, if you can do crucifixions for a living, you are calloused. That's all I've got to say. I don't need to know your name. You are calloused about life and pain and suffering. And this guy says, after Jesus says, with a loud scream, which as we've said before, crucifixion, you die by asphyxiation. You finally just don't have any breath left. You can't. And that's one of the reasons that they put a, put a peg on there to make it last longer, is you would lift up to get a breath. And you'd, again, and you know what happens. You're the, the wrenching pain that happens to your hands and feet, it's, just, it's, it's beyond belief, people. It's all, whoever designed that is sick, sick, sick for torture and punishment. Jesus, with a loud voice, said, it is finished. That tells me he didn't die of crucifixion. He self-inflicted a sacrifice, death, for you. And when he said that, that Roman centurion said, he truly was the Son of God. And you take a Roman to say that, that doesn't happen, let alone one that's a professional. This is a professional. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. Just look at the difference. Here's a crowd that's mindless. Cowardly, too. It took a thousand of them to come up and take this guy that doesn't even have... He's not running. He's not going anywhere. Right? Calm, cool, collected. Totally in charge. Hey, guys. i got a question. I was down in the temple there just a couple days ago. Any reason you didn't take me there? Or how about Tuesday? You could help with the cleaning, and then you could have arrested me. You see, it's all, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's amazing how every person is somewhere in this group of people here, not just the crowd. Or how about that traitorous disciple? Uh, he's a level. He's another level. But the point is this. How many people do we know, or we don't know, actually, that are really good at being hidden, that are just along for the ride with Jesus as long as the goods keep coming? As long as I've got something that I can cling to, something that is on the go, something that I'm in it for. But you'd sell Jesus out for 10 cents. There's those people too. And then there's the defective disciples, the ones who, oh, we'll stay to the end. We'll stay. In fact, Peter, again, he whacked off that guy's ear, right? That's pretty straightforward. That's getting after it. Last miracle that Jesus did. He's like, I, and then Jesus, this is, I tell you, I just... This passage is the most treacherous, and yet it's the most wonderful. Because Jesus, in all of this demise, all of this, oh, there go the disciples. Oh, there goes the guy with the linen sheet. He's gone. And the crowd, what can I say? Oh, by the way, Malchus, let me fix your ear. And he puts it on and is healed. How much faith did, this is a good question for the faith healers. How much faith do you think Malchus had when Jesus picked up that ear? Just believe, just believe. He didn't believe a second. Jesus put it on the side of his head, and it was on. That's sovereignty, isn't it? A sovereign miracle. He didn't ask the guy, you know, if you have enough faith, buddy, I can heal you. No, he was sovereign. He put it on and it was done. That's the power of Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, why were the disciples? What? Let's come back because that's where we're, most of us are in that place. The disciples that defected. Because if we're honest, there's been a time or two in our life that we've denied Jesus Christ after we've trusted him as Savior. As sad as it is to say, it happens. But why does it happen? Because we're not prepared, right? Honestly, we're not prepared. See, Jesus is perfect for that. He says, guys, 
we, you need to stay here and you need to watch and pray. I want you to watch and pray, right? I'm going to go deeper in. I'm, I, I've got stuff I've got to do that you couldn't even possibly understand, but I want you to pray and watch. I want you to be ahead. I want you to be watching. Peter said, we read it last week, write it down in your notes, we're not going to go there. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, literally. He, Peter, the one that denied Jesus three times, says, be sober and be vigilant, for Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Did Peter learn his lesson? You had better believe it. That's what's really cool. God is right there waiting to pick you up when you fail. He's right there waiting for you to come to him. Peter, I tell you, you talk about a failure right now. Oh, Again, when Jesus at the third time and then that rooster crows, and it says one of the Gospels, he turned, Jesus turned and looked at Peter, who had just really cursed and profanely cursed, not knowing who Jesus was. And then Jesus looks him in the eyes. Now, see, that's Judas and Peter having a moment, right? Judas only had remorse. He got caught. Peter was truly repentant. The difference was that Peter loved Jesus. Judas never loved Jesus. Judas loved Judas. And for us, there's a part of us, we love, he saved us, we love him. But when we're not prepared, when we've not properly prayed, given ourselves. In fact, sometimes in the morning, and I, I say sometimes, I don't do it every morning. I want to I really present my eyes, my ears, my hands, my legs, everything of which I go and listen and partake of life. I want that to be God's so that I receive and send out what he wants me to do. That's getting prepared. I should do that every single morning, right? Because those mornings are the ones that I'm, God is much more in control. And Jesus was so fluid about that. Guys, guys, oh, you're sleeping again, buddy. <laughs> you, need to, you need to watch and pray. You need to watch and pray. It would be my message for you today and myself. Be watchful and prayerful. Be prepared. Be prepared. Especially in the world we find ourselves today. You just listen to the news. And you thought, right? What else could we say? There's about three things we want to say, and we're going to close it up. Because I, I want to focus on the disciples. Outside of the fact, Jesus Christ was truly, completely, 100% triumphant at the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, they drug him off. But keep in mind, when he said, I am, they hit the dirt. Boom! In the power of God, he was in charge, never wasn't in charge. What else can we say about the times when we defect or we deny or we fail? I would have to say almost always we're impatient. We got to do something. <laughs> Where's God? I got to do something. There's Peter. Oh, let, me, let, me, let me get him. No. No, I'm prepared. Impatient. How about impulsive? How many times do you make really good decisions when you don't think about them? Oh, every one. <laughs> right? doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, not one time can I think of where I said that I can just you know, make that snap decision. I think I'm going to... No. No, no. Stop. Stop. Think. Reason. Ask God. The more you ask God, the less likely you're going to get the wrong answer. Isn't that true? 
And God wants to hear from you all the time. Never stop talking to Him. In fact, one of the key things would be is when you're with any situation, is when you react with a godly manner, that would be the first, that's success. For us to react as God would act, or as Jesus would act, upon the first, first time you're hit with something. That's sometimes you can ask yourself, how prepared was I? What was my first reaction when I had, you know, when some, some trial comes at you? What was my first, first reaction? A lot of times for me, it's not exactly godly, right? Because I haven't been prepared. I haven't talked with God enough. I'm not seasoned. I'm not ready. I'm, not, I'm still impulsive. Isn't that true? I'm not, I'm not here blaming or pointing fingers. You can just ask yourself. I just shared with you that I'm sometimes a real loser because I'm not prepared. I'm not tuned in. I'm not prepared with prayer, right? That's why the disciples, they failed. They failed. Preparations of the heart of man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That's right. Yep. The other one, there's one left, and there's maybe many others. It's amazing how many times we go on in our own strength. Isn't it true? Yeah. Peter was on his own, wasn't he? Do you think, who do you think was holding that sword? It wasn't the sword of the Lord, buddy, buddy. It was the sword of Peter. Right? He's charging on. He was in his own strength. Self is an amazing creature. And the more confident we are, the less likely we are to do God's will. Just again, I can't talk enough about the triumphant power of Jesus Christ. In this study, that's how we got here. We wanted to show Jesus' power over everything. And here we are, and he's in a situation he could have smoked these people. I mean, literally, when, when Judas would have wrapped his arms around him, gave it, he could have turned him to ashes, is what he wanted, well, what I would like him to do, right? Because he's such a creep, Judas, that is. But I want you to see something. Let's go to Luke for a moment, and we will uh, we'll probably button up. Luke chapter 22, and this is, uh, this is what he tells, uh, tells Peter. Oh, let's see if I can find it now. Mm, that's not it. Okay, I got that wrong. Um, okay, let me try something else. Just hang on. Yeah, here it is. Okay, let's go to Matthew then. Sorry about that. Matthew chapter 26. And we haven't looked at this one, but let's take a look. Matthew chapter 26, verse, we'll start in verse 50. Matthew 26, verse 50. And Jesus said unto him, this would be Judas, friend. Now, that's not really the word friend. It would be a word that would have been translated friend in the English, but it's comrade or companion. This is no friend of Jesus's, and he knew it. He called him a comrade or companion. Wherefore art thou come? Why are you come, Judas? And then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold... One of them, which were with Jesus, stretched out his hands, struck his, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest, and smote off his ear. Then Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Now watch verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently send me more than twelve legions of angels? <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter. Uh, by the way, how many was a legion? Remember? Six thousand. Times twelve? That's one for each disciple and Jesus. And I think that's it, right? There's 12. You can have, I can have 12 legions, one for each one of you. That's 6,000 apiece. That's 72,000 angels. Do you think we could take them, guys? Do you not see I'm in charge? Can you not see the Father is in charge here? 
Because I could just pray and here comes 72,000. And you say, what can an angel do? If you go back to the Old Testament, one angel slaughtered 185,000 Assyrians. Do you think they could take these thousand people? I'm sure Peter said, oh, I'm sorry. Right? How many angels did it take to destroy a whole city? Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. <laughs> Not very many. Isn't that amazing? And that's, that was literally right there at, at, God, at Christ's hands. He could have he just called for that. Now, I want you to see something. Do you remember, you remember what, the, what the beauty of an angel when it was really needed? At the Garden of Gethsemane, just a few moments before this event, Jesus was sweating blood. He would have looked like a bloodied man. And it says he was so weak. He was unto the point of death, sorrowed unto death. That's actually the words that are in the Scriptures. And then it says this, And an angel came to strengthen him, Jesus. For what? For the mob that was coming? No. For the decision he's just made, and that is to carry forth the redemption plan that he, the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the, the appointed servant of God the Father, to come and die for each and every one of you and everyone else that's ever trusted Christ. This is what he needed strength for. At this point, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and the betrayer is coming, that's all behind him. There's not one second of him ever having moved away from that decision. It has been made in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to those thousand men trying to hit that hill. Satan tried everything imaginable. We'll find in the next few weeks as we study. He was beaten. He was scourged. A crown of thorns, of deep thorns, were smashed into his head. He was beaten beyond belief. Wouldn't even have known him. And still Jesus just kept trudging right to the crucifixion tree. And at 3 o'clock, it's my favorite words that were ever uttered on this planet, when Jesus Christ said, It is finished. No more was the penalty of sin hanging over my head. No more was the penalty of sin hanging over your head because Christ paid for my sin. He paid for your sin. Now you must receive him. Receive that package of grace by faith. Just like that, remember that, that uh, I was going to say prison guard, but the, the, in Acts, they were, the apostles were actually put in prison and an earthquake came and all the gates opened. Now the first one to lose your life when the prisoners are gone is the guy that runs the place, that guy. And he come just coming to Paul. He was ready to kill himself. I mean, he just don't get it over with, right? And he says to him, oh, no, stop. Don't do that. Don't do that. How must I be saved? That message is so clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's the same message for that, for that jailer as it is for any one of your friends, your family, anyone on this planet right now. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That same Jesus that this night was betrayed by that one of those 12 that Jesus, that Jesus. That's what we have to be thankful for. As you're approaching Thanksgiving, there's many, many things. We just say, we count your many blessings. This blessing, you can't count enough. Can you imagine if Jesus had never finished what he was set to do here? I wouldn't be here. There's no hope. There's no hope. We're hopeful today with eternity because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. And I say amen and hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, what a message that Jesus proclaimed loudly from the heights of heaven. Tragically, what it looked like on earth, the suffering, the demise, the crucifixion. And yet, you, Father, knew the end from the beginning. There were times at which Satan, no doubt, thought he had a chance of winning. When Jesus was in the grave, 
he wanted in the worst way for him to stay there. Because literally, Father, the power, the victory is in the resurrection. If Jesus Christ would still be in the grave, we would be the most miserable of all people. But he isn't. Satan's chains were broken. Death no longer was a weapon that he could use. Father, if Jesus hadn't died, hell would be full, heaven would be empty, and Satan would have won. But the scriptures were written. It was foretold. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Father, you have saved us through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, it's more than we can ultimately contemplate, but one day we'll be in your presence, all of those that have trusted Christ as Savior. To be in your presence, Father, is more than I can even comprehend, but we yearn for that time. To be able to put my arms around my Savior, weeping at his feet for the price that he paid, holy, righteous for my sin. How could we be more thankful? Father, the journeys that you have each one of us in life, we'll be going in different directions this coming week. Some of us traveling a long ways away, some of us being at home. But the people we come in contact with, Father, there'll be those that need to know Jesus. They need to know that he is their Savior. Father, I just pray that you would give the words of wisdom, that you would allow us to say what needs to be said and not say what does not need to be said. That our lives would be clear, clean. May we be prepared for all that's before us. May we spend it watchfully praying, relying and leaning, and being with Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you've accomplished. We bow at your feet in Jesus' name. Amen.